Let's give a big hand to Past Henny. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, guys, I'm going to be honest. In the first service, something happened to me that has never happened to me ever before. When uh, Shane, I need to honor Pastor Shane because I don't know how he handled it. When he introduced me in the first service, I was in the bathroom. And he, uh, I came out of the bathroom to hear this big Pastor Haley Barrett. And in my mind, I went, nah, he's joking. Like, he's just messing with me. And so I just kept walking slowly. And I got into the back of the auditorium and I went, oh, no, it's for real. <laughs> I literally walked in the whole way up. That is an MC's nightmare. When the speaker, when you're trying to introduce the speaker and they're not in the room, you're like, what jokes can I crack? What songs can I sing? What can I do here? So why don't we just clap Pastor Shane, because he's amazing. And it is so profoundly good to be with you guys today, to be in the room with the city campus. And I count it a huge honor. I think one thing that online church did for us, it made us aware of how important this is. And to be able to see your faces and to hear your singing. By the way, you guys sounded amazing. I was so blessed by the way the church was singing this morning in worship. It's so good to be with you. And I have never, here's a fun fact, I've never spoken at this campus where Pastor Mike and Liz were here. Uh, which is hilarious, um, but I'm a bit bummed about it because I would love to honor them in person, but I'm just going to honor them even though they're absent because uh, you know this already because you've chosen to base yourself at this campus, but you are sitting under truly exceptional leadership. Pastor Mike and Liz are just incredible. You know this better than me, but I think that they are pioneering a new way to do ministry, and I wanted to honor them even though they're not here. They might hear this on a recording. I don't know, but can we clap for your pastors? And if you are here for the first time and I finish the message and you don't like it, just, just to let you know, the, the next guy back next week, he's always good, okay? So please come back next week. But we're starting a new series. Uh, we've started a new series called Sounds Familiar. And the whole premise of this series is that we're taking some of your favorite familiar Bible verses and we're going to rediscover some truths about them. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible some uh, verses are more quotable than others? There are just some more quotable verses. And sometimes we quote them so much that we miss the incredible truths that are within them. So we're going to take some of those scriptures today and in the series and unpack them. And today I'm doing that great scripture from Isaiah 43 where God says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. It's not just the scripture you use when things aren't going well in your life and you're telling God you need a new thing. I'm going to unpack some truth from it today. But first, I'm going to pray. Father, I bless this congregation right now in the name of Jesus. God, what an amazing bunch of people. Lord, thank you for the gifts and call that are upon each of their lives. Thank you for the purposes that you have written for each of them. And Lord, right now we're inviting you into the midst. God, we don't just want something stale. Lord, we don't just want um, bread that's from yesterday. Lord, we want to receive today's revelation and today's bread. And so we lean into what you, Holy Spirit, would be saying. And we just say, speak, because we're listening. We place ourselves under the authority of the word of God. And we pray that it would transform us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, has anyone been stuck in an elevator before? You've been stuck in an elevator. I've been stuck 
in an elevator before. Uh, it was in the city. Uh, I came here for a 21st birthday party. Uh, it was a Saturday night, but I was serving on the dream team at church the next day. And so like a good church girl, I left the party early by myself because I wanted to be up bright and early for church the next day. I went in to the parking building to find my car. I traveled up the elevator to the floor that my car was parked on. And when I got there, the doors did not open. And if you have been in that situation, you know the panic. It's unbelievable. You immediately start being fearful. I wasn't claustrophobic before, but I suddenly am now. You're wondering what you do. So the first thing I do is I pull out my lifeline, my mobile phone, right? And I check it, but of course there's no reception. And so I'm like, what on earth am I going to do? When all of a sudden I see in the lift a button, an emergency button, and I push it and it starts to ring. Do you know about these buttons? There is a person who sits on the other end of the elevator phone line and they answer phone calls. And so all of a sudden this voice says, hello, what's your problem? And I'm like, what do you think? You know, I'm stuck in an elevator. And he's like, which elevator? And listen, I'm really bad at geography. I have literally got lost at Auckland Airport before. I got lost somewhere around the McDonald's, didn't know how to get out. And so he's like, which parking building? And I'm like, one in the city? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, shouldn't you know? Shouldn't there be like a grid that flashes with where I am? And then the call kept on like timing out. And listen, I'm not saying that this was a good decision, uh, but, but I, I just stopped ringing the elevator emergency line. And I'm no, I can't explain that. I've got no justification as to why I stopped using the thing that was supposed to help me. And I sat back and I was like, well, what on earth am I going to do? It's like, could I set up camp here? Who's going to serve on the dream team for me the next morning? Do the people at the party know the trauma that I'm going through? Do they even care? You know, this is me spiraling rapidly, quickly. When all of a sudden a thought occurs to me, I'm like, why don't I just try to go back down to the floor that I departed from? And so I press the ground floor, the elevator descends, the doors open, I walk out a free woman. You can clap. <laughs> uh, that didn't really deserve applause, did it? But uh, you, thank you for doing it anyway. Have you ever noticed that the answer to your stuckness is as simple as finding the way out? Like I was stuck until I found the way. It's pretty simple. But it's important because in life, we get stuck a lot. We get stuck in physical locations. We get stuck in jobs. We get stuck in relationships. We get stuck in thought patterns. We get stuck in cycles of sin. And sometimes it can feel quite hopeless and overwhelming. But the important thing to remember is that if you are experiencing any degree of stuckness in this place, the answer is simple. You just need to find the way out. The way out, the way under, the way over, the way through. The solution to stuckness is as simple as finding the way. I remember a couple of years ago, I was stuck in some cycles of anxious thinking, and it went on for years. I began to feel quite hopeless about it. Until one day I was at church, and the pastor was preaching. I felt the Holy Spirit of God say to me that for the next week, he wanted me to get up at 6 a.m. and start speaking out the promises of God over my life. And so I went and I said, 
sat in my closet, and literally in my closet, not sure why, it felt more spiritual. I've got no reason for that, but it just felt more spiritual to do it in a closet. Sat in a closet, and I began to speak out that who the sun sets free is free indeed. That I was the head and not the tail, that I was above and not beneath. And can I tell you that over a year of me faithfully doing the thing that God told me to do, those sandcastles of anxiety began to collapse and crumble in my mind. You see, for my stuckness, God gave me a way. In fact, I would say that the biblical word for stuckness is this, captivity. And the biblical word for the way out is this, deliverance. And the reason that that's important is that the text we're talking about today, it's about deliverance. See, God says this in Isaiah 43, he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Can you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making streams in the wasteland. And I want you to know today that thing in that passage is not vague. It is not just whatever you want it to mean. You're like, I want a new car. Well, behold, God is doing a new thing. Yeah, I want a new job. Behold, God is doing a new thing. No, the context of this passage makes it very clear that the new thing God is doing is he is providing a way out of captivity for his people. He is providing deliverance for his people. This message is for anyone who feels stuck. This message is for anyone who feels like they have been at the same mountain for years. This message is for anyone who has felt stopped and stalled in their circumstance. You need to know that for every captivity, God provides a way of deliverance. How do I know that this passage is about deliverance? Well, I know because of the historical context of the passage. See, this passage, actually this chapter, all the chapters from Isaiah 40 onwards are written to God's people who are in captivity in Babylon. If you ever read the whole book of Isaiah from start to finish, you'll notice that the book undergoes a distinct tone change from chapter 40 onwards. It's because from chapter 40 onwards, God is addressing his captive people in Babylon. And so he begins to speak hope. He hasn't thrown them off. He's still working on their behalf. He's still doing something new for them. He begins to speak hope. So there's two contexts that you always need to look for when you're interpreting scripture. One is the historical context, which I gave you just then. The other is what we call the literary context. The literary context is when you don't only read the verse, but you read the entire passage that the verse finds its meaning in. And the incredible thing is, is that when you read this passage, not just the verse, you begin to discover some principles that you can apply if you are in a season of stuckness. Let's read together from Isaiah, it's uh, from uh, chapter 43, verses 16 to 18. These are the words that are immediately preceding the famous verse. It says this, this is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the seas, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Then he says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. Now this is really strange. Because what Isaiah is doing in this passage is he is bringing to mind the Exodus event. He's saying, Israel, do you remember when you were slaves in Egypt? 
Do you remember when you were held captive in Egypt? Do you remember what I did for you then? I bought you out miraculously. I parted the Red Seas. You walked through on dry ground and the Egyptian army were destroyed behind you. Do you remember what I did for you? But then he says, wait, wait. No, forget. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. This is the equivalent of me coming to Dan Bell and saying, Dan Bell, do you remember when you're 21? Just jokes, you're 40 now, okay? That's the equivalent. I know he's 40 because I went to his party. It was a great day. God's like, remember, no, 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 wait, wait, forget. What's God doing here? Well, the first thing he's doing, and this is what we need to do if we're experiencing captivity and stuckness, is that you need to remember that God delivers. You need to remember that God delivers. See, the truth is this. When you are in a place of captivity and stuckness, you need to rehearse in your memory the things that God has already done on your behalf. You bring to mind the times he bought you out, the times that he provided for you, the times that he delivered for you. You remember and rehearse the things that God has already done in your past. And listen, if you're younger in this place today, and I can see a whole bunch of young people, and it is so good to see young people in their house. If you are young in your faith, and you're saying, listen, I haven't collected stories enough yet to rehearse things of my own. This is what you need to do. You need to go get yourself a mother or father in the faith, someone who is a few generations on from you, someone who has years and years of collecting stories of the goodness of God, the wonder-working power of God. And do you know what you say to them? You say, until I collect my own, can I borrow yours? See, this is the way the church works. We work generationally. We get a mentor. We get a mother or father who can disciple us in the things of faith. And can I say, as a younger person, I have benefited immensely from the stories of those who have gone before me. Let the church never forget the power of the generations who have gone before. Actually, we sit at your feet. I love coming and seeing Bob and Maggie feel a bit emotional about this. We come and sit at your feet because we stand on your shoulders. May the generation, younger generation, never forget the necessity of mothers and fathers in the faith. If you don't have your own stories, listen to me. Go borrow someone else's until you have stories to tell the generations that come after you. See, if you're stuck, the first thing you need to do is remember that God delivers. But the second thing you need to do is forget the method of delivery. You remember that God delivers, but then you forget the method of delivery. You see, you remember that God did it, but you forget the way he did it. See, God's going to do it again. Come on, somebody. God's going to deliver you again. God's going to move on your behalf again. God's going to provide for you again. God's going to do some wonder-working power for you again. He's going to do it, but he's not going to do it the way he did it the first time. And listen to me, so often we can hold on to the method of delivery instead of holding on to the content and quota of our faith. And if we become so set on the way he's going to do it, we might miss the deliverance when it comes. See, I've heard it said before, forget not God's mercy, but forget the method in which it came. And this is true of this story. You see, you look at these two different captivities. When Israel was captive in Egypt, they were delivered from the hand of an evil, tyrannical pharaoh. 
But in this study, in this situation, they are going to be delivered by the hand of a benevolent king, King Cyrus. See, if Israel had held on to the method of deliverance that had happened the first time, they would have missed the deliverance when it came. So you remember that your God delivers because he does and he will, but you must forget the method of delivery. Come on, somebody, because God's doing a new thing. The third thing you do is this. You look for what's growing up. If you're stuck, you need to learn to look for what is growing. Look for what's growing. The Bible says this. It says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And then it says this phrase, behold, it springs forth. Can you not perceive it? Springs forth is an agricultural term. In fact, it would be better translated almost uh, grows up. And I think that this is important because so often we think we're going to be blindsided by the new thing. It's going to be the thing that we don't see coming, the thing that we don't expect. But friend, lean in. The new thing is already planted and seeded and growing up in your life right now. Are you looking for what's growing? And I, I just, I didn't say this in the first service, I want to just take a moment. You know, I think in 2020, uh, we have become more concerned with looking for the danger than looking for the growth. There is a biblical concept called the watchtower. Watchtower was planted, it was built in a vineyard. The vineyard is often a metaphor for the people of God. And the watchtower served two purposes. You looked from it from danger to perceive the danger that was approaching, but you also went up it to look for growth. And I want to encourage the people of God today that we need to stop looking for the threats and the weapons that are forming and start looking for the growth. Because I can believe that 2020 was a year which perhaps didn't go the way you thought it would go. You didn't tick the box that you thought you were going to tick. You saw a lot of threats that you didn't see coming, but I bet in 2020 you grew. When was the last time you looked for growth? When was the last time you examined your life for what is springing forth, what is growing? Because the new thing is something that is already seeded and growing up in your life right now. What's growing? Is it your character? Is it your devotion? Is it your gifting? Is it a friendship or a relationship? Is it your involvement in the house? What's growing in your life? Because the new thing, friend, is already seeding. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Remember that God delivers. Forget the method of delivery. Finally, look for what's growing. That's what you do when you're stuck. But let me tell you now, and this is where I want to finish, let's look at what God does. See, if that was our path, then I'm going to talk to you about what God does when we're stuck. Because between these two captivities, the Egyptian captivity and the Babylonian captivity, there are some similarities of the way God provides deliverance. Three things that the deliverance for both groups of people involved. Firstly, it involves a way in the wilderness. And I pray that by this part of the message, this is abundantly clear. But if it's not, let me just as clearly and concisely as I can articulate. If you are feeling stuck, if you are feeling held captive, if you walked into church hopeless, if you came thinking this is the last time I'm gonna have a go at this because I don't think I can get past this thing, then I need to encourage you not from emotion, not from good preaching, but from the rock solid word of God. It is mandated in scripture that no matter the obstacle, no matter the wilderness, no matter the test 
or no matter the trial, there is a way through your wilderness. It doesn't matter how stuck you feel, how stalled your emotions are telling you, how hopeless your heart is telling you that you are, the word of God rings true. Friends, there is a way in your wilderness. There is a way through. So the first thing I want you to know, what God provides, he provides for his people a way in the wilderness. But the second thing, and if you get anything from this message, this is what I pray you get. The second thing he does in deliverance is that he provides, miraculously provides water. There will be a miraculous provision of water. This is what it says in Isaiah 43 verse 20. It says, the wild animals honor me the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. In both deliverance events, God miraculously provides water for the journey because you need to know that God doesn't just give you the way. He also gives you the water. See, God is the water and the way. And this is important because the truth is the way is not always easy. Have you noticed it doesn't say it's a way in the meadow or a way along the beach or a way on the mountain? No, it's a way in the wilderness. And I'm not going to pretend to you that that way is easy. See, many of you have been stuck for years and you know what the way is. The thing that you doubt is your ability to walk it out. Because sometimes the way is hard. Sometimes the way involves confronting some emotional trauma. It involves allowing yourself to be cut by truth, to get lies out that you've believed. Sometimes it involves forgiving people. Sometimes it involves asking for forgiveness. I'm not here to tell you today that the way is easy. When it comes down to it, it is a way in the wilderness and many might be stopped in front of that path wondering if they have the ability to walk on it. And to you, I say that God does not only provide the way, God provides the water. See, it says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this passage makes very clear that actually the water that's being referred to is the Holy Spirit. It says this in Isaiah 44 verse 3, for I will pour my water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. You need to know today that the way and the water are as tied together as Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And wherever there is the way of Jesus, there is the miraculous provision of the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is this, you probably don't have the capacity to walk the way. Your strength probably will run out. Your wisdom will run dry. Your patience will come to an end. But the thing that you need to know is that every time it does, you will be met by the miraculous provision of the Holy Spirit because where there is the way, there is always the water of the Holy Spirit. See, the truth is this, you need, don't necessarily need to have confidence in your capacity when you've got confidence in his. And if you are faithful to step out on the way, he'll be faithful to provide the water. The miraculous provision of water. This is the, first, the third thing 
that will mark your deliverance. It's this, a praise response from the people of God. Isaiah 43 verse 21 concludes by saying, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Friend, the response, when God brings you out of your stuckness, the team can join me now, the response when God brings you out of your stuckness, the response when God brings you out of your captivity will be a praise response by the people of God. You know, there are many different types of praise in the Bible. There is prophetic praise, and that's praise that like screams the promises of God into the night until the morning begins to break. But I need you to know that prophetic praise is not the sort of praise that this passage is referring to. See, this isn't the type of praise that screams at the night. This is the type of praise that welcomes the morning when dawn has broken. Because I need you to know today that no matter where you are or where you're from, morning is coming. And I can see the day when you sing at the top of your lungs, your heart as free as you could possibly imagine where you lift your hands high as completely uninhibited as you could ever believe, when you begin to feel the bright light of new dawn shining on your face, when your feet begin to get some dance and some spring back in them. This is not the type of praise that screams at the night. This is the fist stomping, hand clapping, yelling at the top of your lungs praise that accompanies your team winning the game. That is the type of praise that awaits you. It's the praise that welcomes the dawn. And listen to me, I pray that right now, you are starting to feel the bright light of new dawn breaking on your face. I'm starting and believing that you're feeling the fresh wind of hope blowing through your soul. I'm believing that that fresh wind is beginning to blow out the staleness and the cobwebs because let me declare it today, God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth now. Do you not perceive it? He is making a way in the wilderness. He's making streams in the wasteland. And friend, when you come out, your only response will be, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen and amen. Come on, with every eye closed and every head bowed. Listen, we never finish our services without giving people an opportunity to know Jesus. And however you walked in, however you came, for a moment I want to tell you about what the Bible says about you. The Bible says that you were created for life. You were created with a purpose. You were created for abundance, for peace more than anything. You were created for relationship with God. That's why you're here. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You don't necessarily have that now. Why? Well, the Bible talks about this thing called sin. Sin is the wrong in our life that separates us from God. But the Bible also says that God loves us too much to leave us where we were. He sent his son, Jesus, Jesus, who knew no sin, never sin. It says he became sin so that you and I could have the life, the peace, the relationship with God that you were created to have. Can I tell you for a second that this is my favorite part of the service because being introduced to Jesus was the most profound thing that ever happened to me. 
And I want to give you an opportunity to have that same experience. He is for you. He loves you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. If you're in this place today and you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to respond to his love. I've been trying to go my own way and it hasn't worked. But today I want to come home to the love of the Father. In a moment, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to count to three, and at the end of that, I just ask that you raise your hand. Listen, everyone's eyes closed and heads about. I'm the only person looking around, but I would love to know if you're making that decision today purely because I want to celebrate with you. So if you're here today and you're saying, I want to make that decision, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to count to three, and you raise your hand. One, two, three, raise your hand. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Awesome. Awesome. Wow, you can put your hand down. Thank you so much, guys. Church, can we repeat this prayer together as a whole? Can we say this? Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you. I'm free, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Church, can we congratulate those people who made that decision? And listen, the reason that I got us to say that prayer together is I want every person who raised their hand to know this. That was a journey, this was a journey, that moment is a journey that you began in community, that you will continue in community, and you will complete in community. And we at this church count it an absolute privilege to walk out that journey with you. Let's clap for them one more time, shall we? And listen, I'm going to get you to stand to your feet because we're going to finish with a song. And the reason we're finishing with a song is because we need to make a praise response. And so across this place, if you're experiencing any degree of stuckness right now in your life, would you just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Right now in the name of Jesus, we declare captives come free. Lord, we're praying for a restoration of hope. We're praying for a restoration of joy. We're praying for a restoration of peace. We're acknowledging today that the weapon may 